Well, hello and welcome to our online community at Purpose Church. Welcome for the first time or welcome back. We're so glad that you're joining us. Summer is almost over. Some of you have already gone back into the swing of school or into the fall season of your work. Maybe you're finishing up summer and enjoying these last few days. Well, we're so glad that you're with us. Pastor Glenn will be back next week. He is uh, finishing his preaching tour over these last three weeks. He's actually at our Arco Idaho uh, uh, partner church, which is uh, an amazing community that uh, pipe in our sermons. They watch them on Sundays and then they pass through their local community there. And so Pastor Glenn's visiting uh, that campus, but he'll be back here uh, next Sunday. We're so glad again that you are joining us. And usually when I begin writing a sermon, I'm sitting in my office and I try to remove as many distractions as possible. and, And I start reading the passage over and over again and begin to ask God, what is it that you want me to say? Sometimes I, and, and maybe a little bit less likely, I'll start my sermons uh, in, at my house. Like in, it, we, I don't really have an office at our house necessarily, but I'll try to find a corner where there is some quietness, which in our family right now with four little kids, trying to write a sermon in my house is like trying to write a sermon in the middle of a tornado. It's just not uh, all that peaceful, but it ends up giving me lots of good sermon illustrations. But this sermon that I'm gonna be preaching today, it didn't begin in my office. It didn't begin at my house. It began in a gas station parking lot, sitting in my car, waiting for a tow truck. You see, I was driving to church on Monday. And as I was driving, uh, the car in front of me put their brakes on. And so I put my brakes on. And all of a sudden, the pressure in my brakes gave out. And I felt like I was in some crazy adventure movie, some James Bond film. I'm, I'm going towards this car and I can't slow down. I keep pumping the brakes and I start to panic and get worried. Then I realize I've got to now veer over four lanes of traffic without having the ability to brake the car. And so I merge over, I get on the exit ramp, I exit, and then I have to go down a hill towards the closest gas station. Again, I'm worried. How am I going to get down that hill and stop effectively and not go through the red light and turn into the gas station? This whole experience created a great deal of worry within me. You see, worry is a universal response to life. But worry isn't just a response to life, it takes a toll on us. It's interesting, the the Middle English word for worry is wiregen, which literally means to strangle. Isn't that a great picture and a great image of what worry is? Doesn't it feel like when you are overwhelmed with worry that you can't even breathe? That you're, you're struggling to even stay composed? You know, in today's passage that we're going to be studying, Jesus wants to talk directly to us about worry. And maybe some of us are going, well, okay, what does Jesus know about worry? Well, I actually think Jesus might be the most qualified person to talk to us about worry. Here's a few reasons why. Number one, Jesus experienced the normal pressures of life that you and I experience. But on top of that, Jesus was entirely financed and supported by the generosity of others. So he wasn't even in complete control of his finances. He experienced a lot of grief with the passing of his best friend, Lazarus, who he eventually brought back from the dead, but he experienced the pain of that. He he lost his cousin, John the Baptist. Jesus experienced 
experienced opposition all around him. And he always had on his mind that he would eventually die by crucifixion. One of the most painful ways, maybe the most painful way to die in the ancient world. You see, Jesus knew a lot about worry And yet in today's passage, he has some pretty profound words for us. What is it that you are worried about right now? Is it culture and how much it's changing? Is it fear of the future? Is it what's gonna happen with your kids? Is it what will come of your marriage? Is it that health diagnosis? Is it how will you recover from that miscarriage? Is it, what will we do about infertility? Is it, I, I feel like my finances are all out of whack. My, my, small, my small business is crumbling. What is it that's keeping you awake at night that is consuming your mind and your heart with worry? You see, Corey Ten Boom, she said something profound about worry. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow. It empties today of strength. Corey Ten Boom has the credibility to say something like this because the Boom family, they were, a, they were Dutch reformed Christians. And during the time of Nazi Germany, they actually hid Jews away so that they wouldn't be taken captive by the Nazis. They were, this family was eventually imprisoned. Uh, Corrie ten Boom was put in a concentration camp and many of her family members died there. You see, this is, this, these are the words of somebody who had experienced hardships and problems and trials and suffering and pain. And yet she says, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow. It empties today of strength. Which is why the title of my sermon and what we're going to be talking about today is this, the opposite of worry. Worry is not working for you. It's not working for me. So what is the opposite of worry? Well, I want to define for us worry and then what I think the opposite of worry is, and we'll see Jesus give us more details about this. Worry and the opposite of worry is worship. Let me, let me define worry for us. Worry is passively allowing a plethora of what if possibilities to consume your mind. Worry is that, that, that overwhelming wave of what if this happens? How will we deal with this? The plethora of what if statements consuming your mind and heart, making you feel like you're being strangled. That is what worry is. But the opposite of worry is worship as we're gonna see Jesus is gonna teach us. And here's how I want us to define worship. Worship is actively choosing to respond to what if possibilities by reading the Bible, praying, fasting, singing worship songs, reaching out to your life group and serving. Worship is an active response to what usually would worry us and consume us. We're we're continuing in this sermon series, Flip, where we're seeing Jesus teach us the upside down ways of the kingdom. And today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. And our first big idea for today is this. In fact, I wanna give you four reasons to worship over worry. And our first one is this. 
Worship over worry because you matter to God. Because you matter to God. I'm gonna say it slower so you can really hear it. Maybe you're driving right now. You're watching with your family. You're getting breakfast ready. You're just got a lot of worries already going on in your mind. Slow down for a second and hear these words. You matter to God. You matter to God. Matthew chapter six, verses 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. Why? Because there is something far more important for you to spend your energy on. And it's worship. It's keeping your eyes fixed on God. You see, the passage begins in verse 25, begins with the word therefore. And whenever you see that in the Bible, you should ask yourself, as many people have probably told you before, the therefore, what is it therefore? Well, it's there because Jesus is building off of where he left us off last week. Last week, he told us that you can neither serve both God and money, that you cannot serve two masters. And so Jesus is saying, in light of you being one of my followers, there are implications for the rest of your life. That, that being a follower of Jesus actually changes the way you live in the world. It actually has fundamental impacts and makes a difference in the way in which you live. In other words, being a follower of Jesus is not just about believing certain things. It's about your life being transformed by Jesus. And that is how we follow him. And so it's there, the word therefore is there because Jesus is saying, because you are not gonna serve money, but instead you are going to serve God. When it comes to worries, you need to focus on the reality that you matter to God. John Mark Comer, he says this, we worry about what we worship. What is it that you're fixed on? What is it that you're worshiping? I think for many of us in the year 2021, we, we wrongfully worship one of these four R's. Our reputation, what people think about us. Our recognition, hoping that other people would acknowledge us. Our relationships, this become the obsession of our lives. Or lastly, it's our resources. You see, we're prone to worship these things. And when these are the objects of your worship, you will eventually find yourself worried because these cannot sustain you. These cannot be the God of your life. Jesus says in a few chapters later in Matthew 16, verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is saying, if, if, if the object of your worship is all of these other things, you might think that you're gaining the world, but you will lose your soul in the process. Let's go back to Matthew chapter six, verse 26. Look what it says in 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Plain as day, Jesus is saying, you matter more than the birds. You matter more than animals. God loves his kids, you, more than he loves his pets. And Jesus makes this clear over and over again. It's it's emphasized again in Matthew chapter 10, 30 to 31. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Can we just pause here? This is how madly in love God is with you. Some of you, you haven't washed your hair in a few days. Some of you don't brush your hair every day. Some of you don't even think about what's going on in your hair at all. Jesus knows every single hair on your head. That's how much you matter to God. And then he talks about the birds again. And he says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You matter to God. Now here's the thing about the birds. The birds don't just kind of sit back waiting for food to come to them. No, they work for their food. They're they're out there solving problems. They're out there figuring out where their food is. The difference is birds don't worry in the process. And so, of course, we need to be finding solutions. We we need to be dealing with the concerns of our lives. That when, when those worries come your way, pray, read the Bible, fast, sing worship songs, reach out to your life group for prayer and support. But know that, it, that your life does not have to be consumed by worry. It's why God so lovingly in his scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, Billy or uh, uh, Samantha or Joanna or uh, Jose, I, I, you know what? I, 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 don't have, I don't have forever for you. I, I got five minutes. God doesn't say, hey, I got five minutes. You, you, you share with me what you got going on for five minutes and I, I got to work my way down the rest of your neighborhood. No, God says cast every single anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why? Because you mattered him. Why? Because he knows every hair on your head. Why? Because you are his masterpiece. Friends, you can choose to worship over worry because you matter to God. Jesus continues, and I think our second big idea would be this, that worship over worry because it makes sense. In verse 27, Jesus says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? What a great question from Jesus. He's telling us worry only subtracts. Worry doesn't bless you. Worry doesn't give you any advantage. Worry only subtracts. It's why Rick Warren says, worry is a waste of energy. It can't change the past. It can't control the future. It only makes today miserable. Mark Twain, he said, he said this, most of my disasters never happened to me. Have you had that before where you ran through all kinds of possibilities, like worst case scenarios. I I do this all the time. And the majority of the time, they never happen. I spent so much time worrying that I missed, I missed the point of it all. You see, it it makes more sense to worship. Let me give you a real time example of this. Last Sunday when I was preaching, right before I got up to preach, I started to feel like a a, a little sick. I, I started to feel like, Man, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not doing too well. And, and I even remember thinking, man, 
I might throw up. Now I got a COVID test. I was totally negative from COVID, but I, I, I did think, man, maybe I just ate something the night before. And I literally began to be afraid. What if in the middle of my sermon, I throw up? I, I just got to tell you, friends, that's like, like if, if you throw up in the middle of a sermon, that's kind of like your resignation. I, I don't know how you come back from that. And I was literally terrified. So before I got up, I, I text my life group. I just said, hey, I know this is a weird request and it's early in the morning. Can you just pray for me? Because I'm, I'm feeling a little sick and I'm a little worried. I got through all three services. And as soon as I began to preach, those feelings of, of sickness just totally went away. You see, it makes more sense to worship God, to actively seek him than to worry about whatever it is that we are facing. You see, friends, it it makes sense because God promises to direct us. In Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding says worry. God's understanding says worship. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. That God wants to direct you. If you will choose to worship over worry, if you will choose to open your Bible, if you will choose to open your heart and talk with God, if you'll choose to sing worship songs, if you'll choose to invite Invest in your life group, continue to serve, to position yourselves to encounter God, he will direct your steps. But it also makes sense because God promises to be with us in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand for I am with you. God promises to be with you. It it, it makes sense to worship over worry, to allow God's word to even direct how you handle conflicts in your life. Do you have a conflict with somebody right now? If 2020 and 2021 was marked by any words, it would be conflict. We've all had some measure of conflict. It can be easy to obsess and worry about conflict and and replay conversations in your head. But then I'm drawn to Romans 12, 18. This is how we are guided to handle conflict. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, this should be liberating for you. That yes, the Bible calls us to live at peace with people, but it is impossible for us to live at peace with everyone if that person is unwilling to meet, if they're unwilling to talk through it. There have been some conflicts in my life that I'm tempted to go back to and to go, oh, what can I do to fix this? What can I do? And I have to, at the end of the day, remind myself that as far as it depends on me, my job is to live at peace with everyone. And so even when it comes to our conflicts, it makes more sense to worship, to trust God over worrying and obsessing. If you have a conflict in your life, do everything you can to make peace with that person. But if it doesn't happen, know that scripture says your job is to control your side of the street. It's, it's your job to do what you can to live at peace with everyone. Thirdly, we worship over worry because God provides. 
I want to hear you say that from wherever you're at right now. If you're driving your car, if you're riding your bike, if you're watching at home with your family, worry over worship because God provides. Because God provides. Look at Jesus continue his teaching. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. In the days of Jesus, King Solomon was legendary for his wealth and his luxurious clothing. And in the ancient Near East, grass, grass was literally used to fuel the ovens for cooking. So almost as quickly as a blade of grass grew, it was thrown into the fire. That's what Jesus is alluding to. And yet Jesus says, consider the flowers, consider the fields, even more beautiful than Solomon's palace and all that Solomon was. And consider those blades of grass that are here for a moment and thrown out to the fire. And yet God clothes the grass. He takes care of the grass. He beautifies the grass by surrounding them with these flowers. If God is willing to do that for a blade of grass, how much more is he willing to take care of you? Why? Because he knows every hair on your head. Because he knows every need in your heart. Because he knows every struggle that you're carrying. Because if you were the only person on planet Earth, Jesus would have still come to earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead to forgive you, to make you right with God. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. God will provide a way. And maybe right now you're doubting that. You're questioning whether God provides. One of the ways that you can worship is you can go back to scripture. You can pray a prayer that Psalm David prayed in Psalm 25, four to five. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Woo, I need an amen out there. My hope is in God all day long, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. My hope is in God. Your hope is not in one Sunday morning. Your hope is not in one Wednesday night. Your hope is not in just a moment of crisis. Your hope is not when things are great. Your hope is all day long in God. Oh, friends, what if we held on to that? What if when the bill came, and our checking account didn't have enough to meet that bill. We said, my hope is in you, God, all day long. What if when we're out there searching for a job and, and it's, it's not coming as easy as we hoped, we say, my hope is in you all day long. What if when that marriage is crumbling and you're, you're doing everything that you can and it just seems to be falling apart, you say, my hope is in you, God, not my worries, not my circumstances. My hope is in you all day long. I just got a health diagnosis. I just lost my job. Our kid just ran away. 
I'm afraid of the future and what's coming. But my hope is not in those things. My hope is in God all day long. See, this is where we can learn from kids in our lives. You see, kids have an amazing way of being fully present in the joys and the frustrations. I see this at home as a parent, that they're able to be fully present in what they're experiencing. Jesus even talks about kids and how our faith should be like theirs. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is so easy for us adults to think that we know what the future holds. To think that worrying about all the things out there is going to somehow help us. May we become like little children. May you and I resist the urge to worry and instead worship, be fully present in this moment that God is our provider, that God will take care of us. Why? Because we matter to him, because he loves you, because he watches out for the birds and the grass and the flowers, and he knows everything that you need. And maybe that's just what you need to hear. God knows what you need. It's not a surprise to him. It's not like you're walking into his office saying, hey, this is what I need. And he goes, oh, I had no idea. No, he fully knows what you need. And God provides. And lastly, this is the, this is the punchline of Jesus' teaching on worry. Worship over worry because the kingdom of God is real. Oh, y'all, we need this right now. This is for somebody out there. Worship over worry because the kingdom of God is real. It's more real than any other kingdom. It's more real than any other reality. It's more real than any trial or struggle or tribulation or hardship or challenge that you're facing, any fear of the future, any burden that you're carrying, any pain or trouble that you have experienced. The kingdom of God is more real. And so we can worship God because we put our hope in that kingdom. It's why Jesus concludes his teaching in verse 33 and 34. We'll just look at 33 here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, resist the temptation to worry about all the what ifs. But Jesus followers actively seek the kingdom. And this isn't the first time Jesus talked about this. A a few verses, a few messages ago, Jesus taught us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. God desires that his followers, that you and I would be obsessed with his kingdom, that we would be fixed on his kingdom, that his kingdom would be our greatest priority. But maybe you're asking the question, well, what does it mean to seek his kingdom? What does it mean to seek his righteousness? Simply put, This is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. You invest your time, your energy, and your money towards loving the king and growing his kingdom. To to seek 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness means you invest your time, you invest your energy, you invest your money towards loving the king and growing his kingdom. This means we wake up early and spend time with Jesus because we love the king. This means we tithe, we sacrifice, we generously give because we love the king. This means that we, we invest in a good Bible. We, we invest in curriculum that's gonna help our family grow in our faith. We invest our time in a life group that we put our energy towards it because we wanna seek the kingdom, which means we love the king and we're all about growing his kingdom. The problem is our eyes are fixed on everything else. Our eyes are so obsessed with that everyone else has that we don't have. The worries, the potentials, the what ifs, the possibilities that are out there, they consume our minds. And friends, when we are fixated on what everyone else is doing, it becomes impossible to see what God is doing. I'm going to say that again. When we are fixated on what everyone else is doing, it becomes impossible to see what God is doing. And what God is doing is calling you to run your race. He's calling you to stay in your lane. He's calling you to to fix your attention and vision on his kingdom. The temptation in this cultural moment is to attach ourselves to any other kingdom. God is calling his people to be about his kingdom, to run the race. And this is the race. In Paul's own words recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What is the race? What is the purpose of your life? It's to testify to the good news of Jesus, to testify to God's grace. I need to ask you this question and I'm asking myself this question as well. What is your life testifying to? If I were to look at your Facebook profile and your Facebook messages, if I were to look at your Instagram, if I were to look at your text thread and email conversations, if I were to look at the in-person conversations you have with friends, family, and your neighbors, what would I conclude your life is testifying to? Would I conclude that your life is testifying to fear? That your life is testifying to a political agenda? that your life is testifying to the wealth and resources that you have, testifying to another agenda, or is your life testifying to the good news of Jesus and followers of Christ? I beg you to fix your eyes on God's kingdom, to remember your purpose. Don't sell out to any other purpose. Your purpose is to love the king and to grow his kingdom. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and you're wondering what is your purpose, it's to be about the king who loves you. This king who died on a cross, the king of the universe, the king of the world gave up his life because he loves you that much because you matter to him. And and any other purpose for your life will fall far short of God's intended purpose that brings ultimate fulfillment. You see, we're all gonna face hardships and challenges. 
There's going to be those moments where we go, man, what if this thing that I'm afraid about there, what if it happens to me? But instead of worrying, let's you and I worship. You see what Christians can do is Christians can say, I'm not going to say what if this happens. I'm going to say when something happens, when tragedy happens, comes to me, when grief hits me, when pain happens, when this thing happens, I will worship Jesus. I will choose to respond in worship. You see, God promises to bring purpose out of our pain. This is what he did for Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, talking to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, you can worship because God promises to grow you even in your hardships. In James 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, 2 to 4, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In God's divine sovereign wisdom, He has the ability to take our hardships and to use them to mature us and grow us. And then at the end of the day, friends, why can you worship over worry? Because Jesus wins. Jesus promised you and I that life would be hard and he promised us that he wins in the end. In his own words, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Following Jesus is not a, not a get out of trouble card. Not at all. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus wins in the end and can give us peace when all that the world can give us is worry. It's why Dr. Derwin L. Gray, pastor, says, what was sent to break you God will use to make you. You see, you can worship over worry because what was sent to break you, God will use to make you. In verse 34, Jesus concludes his teaching. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is telling his followers to choose worship over worry, even when there's a lot to worry about. And the reality is there is a lot to worry about, but we can make a choice to worship. It it reminds me of Margaret Feinberg. She was a, uh, she's a woman who came and preached at our church a number of years ago for a transformation ministries conference that we had here. And she was sharing in her sermon that she had just finished writing a book on joy. And almost immediately after publishing that book, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she talked about the tension that she lived in having just written a book on joy and now facing these worries and these uncertainties. She showed up for an MRI and in that moment she made a decision. She said, this tube that I'm about to go inside of, 
that could cause all kinds of worry and uncertainty and and the rest of the appointments that I'll eventually face, I am going to see these as portals for praise. I'm going to see every MRI, every surgical room, every doctor's office, every chemo treatment, every therapy. I'm going to see it all as portals for praise. I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to choose to worship instead of worry. That is how I'm going to fight my battle. That is how I'm going to get through this. And friends, it's personal for us, for Sarah and I. I mean, that's how, that's how we got through it. When my daughter Brinley was born, when she was about 10 days old, she wasn't breathing very well. We took her to the doctor's office. And I remember Sarah and Brinley went into a side room uh, to, to uh, figure out what was going on with Brinley. And I was watching Charlie in, uh, in the pediatrician's office. And our pediatrician has this giant fishbowl in the middle of the room. And it, it doesn't make any sense to me because you got so many kids in there. And I, Charlie was literally just pushing on this fishbowl. And I'm terrified he's going to kill Nemo and we're going to have a lot of issues. So I'm trying to make sure he doesn't push the fishbowl down. And then a doctor runs out and says, you need to come in here. And I go inside and Brinley has a pulse ox on her finger and she has a breathing mask on. And they say her breathing's really bad. They rush her to the hospital and diagnose her with RSV, which is respiratory septal virus. They said it's fairly common amongst babies born in the winter and spring. And so you'll be here maybe a few days. Well, two days turned to 12 days. And during that experience, Brinley was diagnosed with a heart disease, Tetralogy of Fallot. My 10-day-old baby now has a heart disease. And I don't know how to cope with that. My wife and I cried. We ran into a room and we just started praying. And we said, God, we know that you have the power to give us peace. We, we want to worry our brains out right now, but we are going to choose to worship. We're going to choose to trust you. And so we started to go to appointments, appointments like this, where Brinley was getting her heart checked on. And then when she was seven months old, Brinley Brinley found herself in the arms of the anesthesiologists, the surgeons. And I remember this moment because we handed Brinley over to this team of surgeons. And my wife, Sarah, and I, we held our hands and we didn't say it, but we were both thinking the same thing. What if we never see this little girl again? She came out of the surgery. It was totally successful. In fact, they they told us that she did such a great job. We can go to the next picture. They told us that she did such a great job that she would never need a surgery again. And friends, during this time, our church, Purpose Church, surrounded us. I remember Carol Allen made a, a bunch of these little postcards to pray for us. Lisa Tony and Courtney Romero and our life group that we were a part of put together a, a, a meal train for us and a, and a goodie basket for us. It was incredible. And then when Brinley was almost two, we went to another appointment and they said, I'm so sorry, she's going to need surgery again. So we went back to the doctor's office. We went back to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And one more time, they operated on Brinley's heart, opening her chest, stopping her heart and operating on it. She came out of that surgery. And I just love this picture. I got to pause here for a second. I love this picture because right now, Brinley is like so high on morphine. Like she girl is just doped up and she's got her girls. You know what I mean? She's got her squad. She's got her little leg warmers and her girls. Like she's going to make it through this. And then we got home and we had this picture taken of Brinley with her warrior scar. And during this entire season, oh, we were tempted to worry. And honestly, we did. We were tempted to throw in the towel and we wanted to. 
We are tempted to, to give in to the overwhelming anxieties and uncertainties of the future. But because of our church body, because of our community, because of our love for God's word, we chose to worship instead of worry. And it made all the difference because friends, God is faithful. God is loving. God is holy. God is compassionate. God is our creator. God is our savior. God is just. He is all powerful. He is all knowing and he is always with you. And worry can't give you nothing, but God can take care of you. God will provide for you because you matter to him. It makes sense to worship and his kingdom is more real than anything. You see, friends, there are always more reasons to worship than reasons to worry. There are always more reasons to worship than reasons to worry. We have a long list of all the things we're worried about. What we need to do is we need to compare those two, the infinite reasons to worship. And my last just encouragement, pastoral encouragement for you is if you're facing fears, worries, disappointments, doubts right now, may you be encouraged by the words of Dr. Esau Macaulay who said this, sometimes you have to worship in the presence of your doubts and disappointments to remind them who reigns. Heavenly Father, we pause right now because we, your people, are going to choose to worship. That we're going to choose to worship over worry. We recognize that the opposite of worry is worship. And so may we be people who worship because you tell us that we matter to you. Would we worship over worry because it honestly makes more sense? Would we worship over worry because God, you always provide? And would we worship over worry because your kingdom is real? And so God, help us in this as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.